we're just going to have a little pause to begin this podcast. Um, a little moment of silence, uh, because if you were listening to last time's podcast, this is the place where we would have played uh, the Dallas Stars uh, goal song. Um, so we'll just ponder over that thought. I can't remember what it sounds like, Claire. I didn't hear it that much. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're really sorry. Uh, Matt Day is with us today that Matt doesn't get to hear that song one more time because uh, Tampa Bay Lightning are the Stanley Cup final champions for 2020. Who'd have thought it? Ouch. So uh, we're going to commiserate. We're going to celebrate. Uh, we're going to talk about that deal uh, or that goodbye of Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, we're going to look at the fact that there are 112 players who potentially, as of next week, will be UFA. And uh, can Dallas afford to keep Kudobin? Why the number 247 is interesting to us. Decode the the weirdest season that's ever happened uh, for the NHL. Uh, And hope that Jolon's uh, connection, whilst he is in a and b in mid-Wales, holds out for the remainder of this podcast recording. In the meantime... We will play the usual music that we do every time to begin NHL Fans From Afar. Yeah, Matt, how are you? I'm all right, you know. <laughs> Catching up on sleep now. Um. For those of you who don't know, Matt Day is a Dallas Stars fan, and this has been a very difficult week for Matt in his life as he awaits the birth of his first child, and he lost an enormous amount of sleep over the last uh, 59 days. <laughs> is that how long it's yeah. been? Wow. It's flown yeah. by. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, that, that's one way of putting it. I mean, uh, training to be a new parent is one way that you could also look at it. But I mean, like, did you watch that game six live? Yes, I watched every game of the whole playoffs live. I'd imagine if you didn't. Wow. Imagine if you chose that the one not to bother. <laughs> ah, I won't bother now. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm lucky enough to work from home, so. I just uh, struggle through the day, the next day. But um, yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, it was a tough series. The the best team won. Tampa Tampa were the better team, so the correct team won. But that doesn't make it any easier to swallow. We had opportunities that we didn't take. Especially the power play didn't really come to town on on the in the final. Um, game four hurt a lot. I thought we played really well, and then that. That uh, call on Jamie Benn in overtime uh, for a penalty for tripping that was not a penalty at all was tough, and they scored on the power play. Um, that was tough to swallow, and and probably a bit of a turning point because if we'd have won that and taken the series to two all, who knows? But it is what it is. You know, uh, we had an incredible run. Didn't expect it at the beginning. Just just really proud of the way they they kept fighting, kept going, never gave up. Double overtime winning game five, you know, just just really proud of them. Can't really say anything more than that, really. Yeah, I mean, they were the team who we all knew that their power play was always absolutely like on point, and it just like didn't seem to happen. And then Stephen Stamkos came back for two forty-seven, as we hear, scored a goal that was really crucial in that game to really kind of ignite the fire back within that team and it, it's like they just became the Tampa Bay that we all knew that they used to be and that's where it, it I mean because Jolon you said on the last podcast this was going to be a really interesting matchup to see does solid defensive kind of tactics work or can we start to see skill and offensive setups actually win a cup and really start to dominate 
and it looked at first like the, the solid defence was going to take it and then it kind of swung back the other way. I mean, obviously, like, the pendulum swung different ways, but, like, I mean, are you happy? <laughs> That's probably the wrong thing to say. We might still here. We've left yeah, it at apologies. least 24 hours, but you wanted to see the new style of hockey actually, like, happen. Yeah, what, what I was interested by, though, with Tampa and... This has been one of the biggest criticisms of some of the more skill-based teams like Calgary and Toronto is that Tampa Bay don't look like a fun team to play against. You know, even though they're skill-driven, even though they're fast, even though they've got some incredible forward players, they are a tough team to come up against. And I think that's what I saw in the Stanley Cup final was, you know, Dallas, yeah, they've got that physical edge and they have got that kind of grit that we've talked about before. But Tampa also have that, but they've complemented it with their skill. So they've got this core, even without Stamkos, but with Stamkos, Kucherov, Point, players like that, they've got this skillful core. And then they've surrounded it with people who make your life hell on the ice. And then with a great goaltender, he play, I mean, Vasilevsky played every single game, every single minute of the playoffs of that whole run. I mean, to have that team, I don't know. I, I don't know why we weren't more bullish on Tampa Bay, because if you think back to last season and what happened to them and the freak way that they went out of the playoffs, in a, in a funny kind of way, there should have been no doubt that they were going to win this year because, of course, they were just going to come back firing on all cylinders and proving everybody trying to prove everybody wrong. And you could see how much it meant to them to, to kind of get rid of that um, or to kind of chuck that monkey off the shoulder and they are, I think they're probably as close to a complete team as you can get in the NHL because mm-hmm. while they major on those skill fronts, they've got so much more to their team. Just have a look. If you want to, if you want to deep dive in some hockey over the summer, whatever this is now. Off season. Off we season, call it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, have a look at Tampa's drafting history because they have drafted their nuts off <laughs> over the last few years. And they've had to, to bolster a team that has got some really highly paid players in it. But their drafting has been so good. A Braden Point, seventh round or something stupid. Mm. Like the way that they've built their squad around that core should be a lesson for any hockey GM to look and think, yes, we can be fun. Yes, we can be skillful, but we still do need some of those players in there. And ultimately... And, you know, I appreciate Matt's on, on, on the call here, but I, it was going to take a Herculean effort for the Stars to beat Tampa and they were going to have to get puck luck, which they didn't get. They were going to have to get calls that they didn't get. And Tampa just looked like they were on a mission. And that game six, as soon as Tampa scored that first goal, I I kind of resigned myself to the fact that I thought they were going to win that game because they just looked like nothing was going to get in their way <laughs> and it's incredible and they've they've got the potential to do it this for a few years they could be a Chicago because they've got as long as they can re-sign some of those players and and keep them and um, some of the guys around the core then why could they not be the next dynasty well I mean and that's also quite interesting because we know quite a few people are, are quite new to jumping on the bandwagon of NHL this year so I find it really interesting to go back and look at the history of, of the last, say, five years of Tampa because you, you look at the, what happened in 2015. They get to the Stanley Cup final against Chicago. They lose. The next year, uh, they get to the conference final. They lose to Pittsburgh Penguins. 2018, they get to the conference finals again. They lose to Washington Capital. Last year, as we just said, they get knocked out in a complete fluke of a weird year in the first round by Columbus. This year, they get to turn the tables and they knock Columbus out so they can progress. They played Boston, they played uh, New York Islanders, they played Dallas to get there. I think the most interesting comment that um, I read actually online was from the athletic uh, podcaster and writer Craig Costanz. And this is where I think it shows what you learn from adversity, that sometimes it can take a few fails at this to learn and really appreciate the win. So he wrote, I remember walking into the Lightning dressing room minutes after the Blackhawks beat them to win the Stanley Cup in 2015. 
you could hear the Blackhawks celebrating in the background. You could hear Gary Bettman's voice awarding Chicago the cup. In the lightning room, there were tears, blank stares. They were absolutely crushed. It took five more years, but they've done it. Just a great group. Um, and that is the stuff that I think sometimes we only look at season by season, but this story has been building and building for many years. Much, much like the Washington Capitals as well. When they won theirs, what, two years ago, you know, they, they, <laughs> they always came up against the Pittsburgh Penguins and always lost to them. And then the year that they beat them, they then go on and win the cup. And you could see how much it meant to someone like Alexander Ovechkin to be no longer known as that great player who's never won the Stanley Cup and he's second best to Crosby. And I just think the, well, I mean, kind of what you said, the the way that the Stanley Cup playoffs are in any year, but this year particularly with the whole bubble and everything that's gone on, the the amount you have to put in to get to the Stanley Cup final, to come that close and not win must be devastating as an athlete mm. and yes five uh five playoff rounds in 59 days and actually uh, just before you joined um jolon off air me and matt were talking about and i didn't know this but the players only get played at uh, paid for regular season yeah. Yeah. games they don't get paid for playoff yeah. rounds yeah. so you're doing yeah. it for the chase of the cup so yeah. that's like yeah 59 days of not seeing two, your family yeah, two months away from your family it's crazy to yeah. do and actually dallas were the only team that stayed in the same hotel for the whole time at least the you know tampa got to get out <laughs> you know what i mean change of in the scenery um how did, but, you, yeah. how did you feel matt watching it as a as, as a fan i mean you you know you got the full experience of the playoffs something that not many fans can kind of you know tell certainly not us um you know it must be hard to think much beyond the disappointment of the other day but what are your kind of feelings throughout the whole playoff run and what do you think is going to set the stars up for next year um it's obviously tough and and interesting to what you're saying there about the the um the disappointment and the tears and things i mean if you saw jamie ben's uh press conference afterwards that was if you haven't watched it yeah, as a Stars fan, oh. that's hard to watch and not not get uh, emotional. Not not even uh, as a Stars fan. I was going to say, Matt. as a human being, that's yeah. hard to watch. I think I think you realise watching the whole watching this whole run uh, of all the teams and Tampa and, and Dallas, you realise how much physically they've actually put in. Um, comments like Rick Bonus saying they hadn't, they've only touched grass twice in in. 60 days you know like they they haven't done anything you know they've barely done anything other than train like rest up get treatment and and play games um tyler sagan said that they had to queue up to get into the the um the trainer's room to get treatment for injuries because that many players were injured you know we we had six people out I think well, five five people out with injury who couldn't play, unfit to play. But I reckon there were, you know, another five or six who were battling through injuries. The rumor has it Tyler Sagan had a a knee, hip, and a and a shoulder injury. So it's no wonder he, he didn't score in the uh, in the finals. But yeah, you realise how much physically they've actually put in, and I think that's why, you know, to go through all of that and then be two games away from lifting the the thing you've played your whole career for is why why Jamie Ben was so emotional in terms of whether they can do what people like Washington and, and Tampa have done and use that as motivation depends on whether they can hold this group together or how the the young people that are going to have the young kids that are going to have to come in can sort of augment it because I think that's what Tampa have done well they've made some good trades um, and some good draft picks have come through to kind of add to that core. And the, the thing that shocked me the most about them, I I was expecting them to be this skills team. You know, we, we don't, as a West coast team, we don't get to see Tampa that often. Um, And so the physicality of them was what actually shocked me quite a lot. They they are very well balanced and very well organized and their forecheck is 
bloody brilliant. Like that, that's what, for me, that was what won them the, the series was their forecheck because it was relentless. It was two people every time, not giving our defensemen any space. And if you look back to the series that we won, Mira Haskin and, and John Klingberg were key because they got the space to do whatever they wanted. Yeah, um, yeah they, they, they got hit quite a bit, but it was always a one-man forecheck, not two. And they, mm. they could play the puck off and they couldn't do that against Tampa and, and they struggled to get into the games and, and make an impact. So that that was the, the kind of the thing that shocked me. They are a very well-balanced team and like you say, set up to do it, do it again. Players like Barkley Goudreau and um, Alex Killorn and, and players like Blake that. Coleman. And just Blake Coleman as well. And, the, you know, these are, these are trades that raised eyebrows at the time for some of them, not Killorn, but... Um, Goudreau and, and Coleman, they, you know, because they were expensive players to get in the grand scheme of things. I think they gave up some first round draft picks and stuff, but but Tampa obviously realised that was where they were deficient and that was the thing that they were lacking and, and time has proven them right. And as you say, that's that's not what they're known for, but they're certainly, it's not it's not a weakness of theirs. No. So Tampa, um, uh, within the next couple of hours as we record this podcast, actually going to have their champions celebration which i can't believe how it's even happening like how on earth do you have a group of fans socially distancing six foot away from each other i mean i, Florida, I, I can't it? i can't believe that it's actually even happening they're talking about ride sharing and you're like what somebody, anyway. somebody said i wonder if there's going to be a uh, a stanley cup parade this year and someone said yeah of course because it's either going to be in texas or in florida <laughs> Two countries that have not exactly been COVID secure. It's insane. Anyway, the the thing that I I am curious about, just kind of picking up on what you're saying about Tampa and how a lot of this long-term success has been looking at the draft, you know, getting hold of those seventh round. Like I, can't, I didn't know that Braden Point was seventh round. I think he's a seventh round, I think. It well, the thing is, I wonder if that makes more of us a little bit more curious about what happens in the draft because you're kind of hearing like those first like guys who are kind of lined up for the top ten picks. Pretty much, people are saying they're all flipping good. You know, from one to ten, they're all great. It's not just like one or two that are absolutely superb. Um, but. It, the the thing with the draft, like, is that mean that more people are going to look at how Tampa did it and really start to use the draft in coming years to see this as a place of, I'm sure they probably do. There's a lot of work that goes in it, but it just seems like a weird year for draft because Tampa's highlighted how important it is. And then the scouts haven't actually really got to see a lot of these guys play as much in person as they probably would have. Um, and just and even I, I was reading today about how the draft's going to work. So the draft is happening on sixth and seventh of October. If you've never watched it live, do it once in your life, and then don't do it again. Because uh, and do it in the first hour, and then go to bed because it gets boring afterwards. But basically, they're actually getting all thirty-one feeds into thirty-one war rooms. A hundred players will have feeds in their homes so they can watch themselves get drafted on TV. Uh, so round one is uh, says two till seven so I guess that's 2pm till 7pm in the states but it doesn't say I'm guessing it's east coast because it's in New Jersey Mm. Um, so that's not too bad time for us Um, but yeah it's it's just going to be really weird sorry you've been a checked Braden Point is actually yeah, he's third, third round. round. Sorry, he was drafted. Se- it was not seventh round. He was drafted seventy ninth overall. Um, but it there's was, a seven yeah, in there. It was That's a seven fine. in there. Details, details. But I mean, <laughs> even so, I mean, again, in a third round, you don't expect to get a player like Braden Point. And yeah. you're right, Claire. I mean, to be honest, I very rarely ever look who the least draft beyond their first round pick, maybe their second round pick, because most of the time they don't come of anything they play in the minors or something like that but Tampa have got a very good history of picking those players not just your Braden points but players who have done it just one more thing on that um Tampa Dallas series as well I think it is worth mentioning that, that Dallas did that entire run on their backup goaltender like, yeah we briefly mentioned and what's Udobi. gonna happen to him yeah well but also would <laughs> roles reversed 
would Tampa have made it through to the Stanley Cup final if they'd have lost Vasilevsky? Curtis McElhaney was their backup. I mean, I'm going to say no. Because... I mean, considering the amount of overtime Tampa played and the amount of back-to-backs they had, yeah, it's quite telling that they didn't use McElhaney at all. Exactly. And it's also a miracle that, that um, Vasilevsky stayed fit for that whole entire time. But... That I mean, we talk about this and we talk about how it was Tampa's year and they were the you know the better team and the best team won. However, Vasilevsky goes down in that first round and they have to then ride McElhaney all the way to the Stanley Cup final. I'm not sure. I mean, the way that Dallas were able to do that is quite incredible and not just play Hudobin. They played that kid a couple of times as well to give Hudobin a rest. Like... And again, I think we talked about it on the podcast last week. It's going to be really interesting to see how teams do that with the whole expansion draft coming up and only being able to protect one goaltender and the loads of UFA goaltenders coming up. There's going to be such a a spotlight on what happened in Dallas with that. And that whole entire run was made possible by having a very capable backup goaltender. I mean, Dobby was incredible and probably one of the, you know the biggest stories of that that playoffs mm. for Dallas. I mean, he's he's an interesting character. We spoke about him before, and but also on the ice, the way he plays, he's he's nerve wracking sometimes because he he moves so much. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't you know he's not one of these big guys that can stay still because he's a smaller um, goaltender. He has to move a lot and anticipate, and and sometimes that's his his downfall that he, he over overcommits but um yeah what a what a playoffs and and yeah he's gonna he's gonna earn himself a paycheck somewhere in an alternative <laughs> universe if if dallas win the stanley cup do you think hudobin would have been their mvp for the playoffs yeah yeah no question yeah i think because uh, the, because of the way that the final went and mira heiskanen didn't have as good a final as he had in all the other series it it definitely would have been been Dobby, but yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised that Vasilevsky didn't win the Smythe. I mean, the fact that he played every game, the fact that you know Hedman was brilliant in the finals. Don't get me wrong, but some of the saves Vasilevsky made were just insane. For me, I was amazed it wasn't point because I, he he filled the Stamkos void. True. And that is that is a pretty, you know, <laughs> it's a pretty big void to fill. Yeah. And to say that, you know, to say that the Lightning got through that entire run without Stamkos and didn't really look like they missed him that much, I'm sure they would have liked to have him there, must just, is huge kind of I think, credit. I think, the reason, I think the reason that Tampa won, and I said it was their forecheck before, but, it, but it's also the fact that their best players were their best players. Yeah, yeah. Throughout every yeah. series. Yeah, and that's what you guys struggled with. It yeah, throughout the, they didn't, throughout the playoffs. They didn't have to um, rely on their third and fourth lines coming up with scoring, but their third and fourth line did come up with scoring, which just augmented the, you know, the goals and, and points that they'd got from the, the top two lines, which were which were brilliant. And then their defensemen, their top defensemen were their top defensemen, and all every night. And their top goaltender was was superb. You know, it's actually it's actually a really good point as well because I, thinking back now, it's actually quite worrying that the 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 story for Dallas going into that game six was Corey Perry, like, and yeah. that's the that's the player that everyone was talking about. That that said though, Joe, um, Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry yes. are the yeah. big reasons that we had yeah. the run we did because we brought them in last summer to make us a playoff team. And they didn't have a great regular season, but they had brilliant playoffs. Yeah. And and But they should know, be they should be while they can have those games, they should be complementing yes. the likes of Ben, Sagan, Radulov. You know, that yeah. line should be the one that's rolling at that point in the in the playoffs. And I suppose looking back now, maybe not Pavelski, but certainly with Corey Perry, you think it was it was exactly the same with the Leafs when they talked about Jason Spezza was suddenly the greatest player that Leafs ever had in that playoffs. And you think, oof, like if that's the one they're all talking about. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, I mean, Perry was incredible in that, in that playoffs. It's nothing against him, but 
when you talk about those Tampa Bay Lightning players playing to their potential, then, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, point Kucherov, you know, all, all of their big players were were yeah. their best and that, that's that's why they, they won, so, yeah. Oh, well, well done. Well done for getting through. I've just totted up actually um, some the goalie shots on goals in that that final series. Dobby uh, took two hundred and four shots, and Vasilevsky took one hundred and fifty eight. Uh, I think that's that's quite a big difference, really. That's like pretty much another game's worth of shots, isn't it? I think um, that's actually a franchise record as well for the most shots saved by any goaltender in Dallas Stars history in playoffs. But that was all the way through, wasn't it? There was those games with Vegas where, you know, you were insanely outshot and yet would still win some of them. Like, that's that, incredible. That, and that was, the, that was the thing why I think, you know, we all kind of, as Stars fans, fell in love with this team because mm. they didn't give up. They were outplayed at times, but then they'd have a, a period that was just unplayable for the opposition and, and yeah. score three or four goals. You know, it happened against Colorado several times. Um, yeah. And you know to beat Vegas four games to one, and it's some of the some of the memories that they've given Stars fans from this playoffs are exactly what you live for as a as a sports fan. You want your team to give you those memories, those things that are, you're going to remember, and yeah, you want that to be them lifting the trophy, <laughs> absolutely. But some of those overtime wins. Um, were just you know exhilarating and that's 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 what what i'll hopefully remember from this rather than the, the disappointment um, oh yeah <laughs> we'll see. i mean talking about memories um a big talking point actually it, today this has happened at new york rangers um doing a, an incredible emotive sign-off uh of henrik uh Lundqvist. Um, I mean, did you did you see just the the way that he's been described? I mean, they bought him out, haven't they? They bought out his um, contract. It, it releases a bit of space for them for the cap, uh, but just even like the the his own tweet, um, just the response of Rangers fans, um, incredible. I, I don't really. I don't really know much about like what is next for the New York Rangers, and I wonder will he play again or is that the end of his career? Like it just seems such a strange market right now to be a goalie. And here's another goalie coming into the mix. Like, I mean, geez, like it's just last year, we, it was all about Bobrovsky and um, Carey Price got his sexy $10 million deal, which was a bit of a fluke, I suppose now. Um, but it just there's just so many big names. It's almost like even with coaches, you know, the amount of coaches that are banded about who's going to be Seattle's coach. So many people like Mike Bobcock's available. Uh, Joel Quenville's been um, dropped. Uh, is he going to go over that way? There's just so many big names out there that it's um, it really is a buyer's market. With with Lundqvist, though, I think it's just... I mean, I'm really glad it ended the way that it did by the looks of it, and it all looks very amicable um, because, you know, it, it was quite obvious that he was going to be playing second fiddle to Shosturkin and possibly even third fiddle with Gorgiev in there as well. If the Rangers were in the running for the Stanley Cup next year, I think they keep Lundqvist for his final year of his contract because he's played there his entire career, 15 years even as a backup goaltender, for him to win the cup with the New York Rangers, I'm pretty sure would be an experience that he would quite happily be the backup goaltender. And I think probably the Rangers would stomach the £10 million they were paying him for that. I think, to be honest, they probably said to him, look, I mean, we might win it next year, but we're not, we're not there yet. We're in our rebuild. We've done well, but we're probably two years, three years off real contention, by which point we're obviously not going to be re-signing you. And I think they, they gave him that, that moment to leave, which, and it gives him the opportunity now to potentially go to a team where he could win a cup and, and join them. So I'm really glad it did end as amicably as it did because it had the potential for him to dig his heels in and say, no, I'm not leaving. And, mm. and the Rangers are in a really difficult position because 
they're not going to keep all three of those goaltenders. So it, it looks like a really good outcome from a situation where the guy was obviously, you know, he's adored by Rangers fans. They absolutely love him. They call him the King. And uh, it will be interesting to see if he plays again. I would imagine he will. Otherwise he would have just retired. Um, it's it, it's going to, it's going to depend on whether or not he's willing to take uh, a pay cut. And he still gets and, that money, doesn't he? he well, still, yeah. So, so for, if I, if I was him, I'd look and say, I'm 38. Yeah, I want to go. I want to go somewhere who is a contender, who's probably looking for that that Tampa really Bay backup. <laughs> yeah, and take it. Take a cheap one year deal, you know, cheap one year, two year deal, yeah. and and try and get a, a ring. Yeah, um, exactly. Because you know. if you're if you're signing any team in the league would sign Lundqvist to a couple of million pound contract for a year or two. Yeah. Like any team would do it if they could do it because the experience and the, you know, everything you hear about him is he's a great guy and he's a great team guy. And, you know, he's obviously going to probably be a backup goaltender. Now for some teams though, he might even be a starter. Like they may roll the dice and say, let's hope we get one more year out of him and he'll play there. But I'm, yeah, I yeah, it's just, I think flat. if you're after a starter though, there's, there's younger probably better goaltenders on the free agent market this this but maybe but maybe you're in a yeah but maybe you're in a in a position where you've got a young starter so let's talk you know imagine carter hart a year ago so you've got a, a player who is going to be your starter he's going to be the number one but might not be ready for that full season where they're the number one all the way through so you might have to split the minutes a little bit more you know, wouldn't it be great to have a goaltender like Henrik Lundqvist in that position where you can do 60-40 of the games or something like that? And I think that's where he might come in. And also, what an opportunity to learn from a guy like that. You know, if he could go into a situation where there's a young starting goaltender in position and you had Henrik Lundqvist as the other guy in net, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where he falls, actually, and whether where he signs, because inevitably he will. And as you say, Claire, it is a... It's um, it's a big goalie market. This yeah, season. I mean, I'm just uh, checking through Twitter actually and seeing what the guys who um who are the UK New York Rangers fans Twitter feed. They're, they're quite interesting actually. They're a good group of um of fans. Uh, we've had Jamie, who's part of that, on our podcast a few times over in Leeds. Uh, they even tweeted a couple of days ago, they, they retweeted a post that said there's only three left from the 2014 Cup run um, and had a picture of them all on the ice. And even then they'd said, wow, it's crazy to think how the roster has changed so much in this time and one more could be gone by the time the new season comes round. That tweet was two days ago. So obviously now... They know the news and they've just put a series of broken hearts and they knew it was coming, but it, they still say that their heart was still breaking. I mean, it's um, it, it, it's so interesting, isn't it? I would, if you kind of did like a snapshot, I mean, I'm a bit of a geek, like, you know, I live like in an old uh, town now, right? On the corner of the Peak District. And I like looking at old photos and seeing what did this street and that house look like a hundred years ago? You know what I mean? Like the old black and white. If you did that with like certain teams, like snapshot it five years ago, like how different was it? What was the setup? What was the coach? And it's amazing just to kind of watch these change. And I think it must have been... 2013 I think I started following NHL properly um as in like watched it in my bedroom I didn't really understand what was going on for most of it to be honest I didn't understand why they were all coming on and off you know when you first start watching it and um Leo Leo Komarov I loved his mustache I remember just looking forward to seeing his mustache for so many years oh my god that poor man but I wonder how many of the players from 2014 are left in the Leafs lineup. I haven't really. Uh, well, the only, the only about... player left in the Leafs now is Riley, and I can't remember when he was drafted. But yeah, it would be yeah. There's, I don't think there's any now left from that 2013 year that they had that cup run. I think Jake Gardner was probably and and Kadri. Um, it just it just shows also, doesn't it like how diff, how changeable this sport really is it's very difficult to keep up 
Yeah, and it's a, it's a tough league. Like, it's a tough league to have a career. And that's when you look at some of these players who've had these really, really long careers and you think, ah, oh, it's quite something that you've 15 managed 15 to... seasons in one team is quite, like, yeah. unheard of, isn't it? Unless it's you're... How many, how many um, seasons did uh, JT do uh, for New York Islanders? Oof. God, when was he drafted? I would have to have a look. Yeah, something like that. And I think it's interesting as well, running the, the parallel to, to the New York Island, uh, sorry, the New York Rangers and how they've done this with um, Lundqvist to looking at how the Ottawa Senators bought out Bobby Ryan. And you've almost got the two different sides to a buyout here, whereas the New York Rangers have, on the face of it, have done it as a, you know, kind of you know we want to give you your send off we want to do this the right way here's your money now go and you know win your cup elsewhere or here's a freedom and then there's the other side of it when the Ottawa Senators have, have bought out Bobby Ryan and and he's had quite a, a kind of tough few years struggled with um I think he was an alcoholic I think and um he'd kind of come out and done quite a lot of press about how he'd gone sober and all this kind of stuff and it really affected his hockey and he was one of those players who signed to one of these crazy long deals at a lot of money and and since then has not really lived up to it and it's kind of one of those it's a chain that kind of drags drags him down a little bit that contract but he was in a team like Ottawa where you wondered actually you know, he came back and he came back from the issues that he had. He scored a hat-trick last season and it was all a bit feel-good. And you thought, actually, maybe he's the kind of person that Ottawa might keep around for a few years. Because it doesn't really matter the cap hit in Ottawa. It's not like it matters for them for the next few years. But then they've, they bought him out. Um, and the bit that I had the biggest issue with is they, they said it was for hockey reasons, which you know, I, I don't buy at all because... You don't buy out a player like Bobby Ryan for hockey reasons with a team like Ottawa. You only do it for kind of financial reasons. And and it it is a really tough, it, it, it's a really tough sport to be those athletes. And with those contracts that people have such transparency over and can see, and that business side is so much more part of what the fans talk about, you end up with a far greater insight into, you know, why Lundqvist was bought out or why Bobby Ryan was bought out. And it is mm. tough. It adds an extra layer. So. We, uh, again, like, just as we were kind of like setting up early, we were discussing how, um, I mean, I, I was listening to Hockey Central at noon the other day and Brian Burke with his business hat on GM's point of view was really kind of opening up a different perspective about, you know, we kind of, Almost, maybe because we're Leafs fans, you know, me, me and Jolon, uh, we anticipate that we're, at, we're squeezing every pound out, every dollar, every cent of our cap. But actually, he kind of gave a good reality check that for some teams, maybe they won't actually be able to make the top of the cap because their owners are being hemorrhaged right now with losses. Like, you know, I, I've started kind of looking through some of the owners of NHL clubs We've, we looked at um, Matt's, uh, Dallas's owner, Tom, how do you say his surname, Matt? Gallardi. That one, yeah. Tom Gallardi. He's very important. Very sorry, sir, that I can't say your surname or spell it. But he runs hotels, restaurants. So Brian Burke's point of view was, that's not really an industry that's doing that great right now. So he may be kind of, I don't know, you know bringing things down uh, or every you know they're really going to be looking at maximizing every corner of revenue to keep the business afloat so they were saying like whether that could slightly kind of squiff the actual spending we're also hearing about like okay if fans can't come back how is yeah. that going to work financially because That's the other thing hockey 50%, teams aren't making any money 50 <laughs> percent of the revenue of these yeah. you know teams is from fans uh the players you know the fact that if the players aren't going to play 82 games well they're going to say so what you still got to pay me for 82 games that's in the contract but the owners are going to say i'm paying you 82 games you only gave me 50 i'm paying you 50 that's it so who's how is this going to work so finance i think is mega interesting and i hadn't really in my arrogant leafs fan mind even thought about how that might impact the cap and you hear like some of the deals that are happening right now you know it's been going on forever alex peter angelo st louis blues 
Patrick Laine still has not got something sorted with the Winnipeg Jets because he's arguing that he wants to be in a line with Chiefly. Um, even Andrei Svechnikov um, is talking at the moment with new deals. And then you've got all these guys, I think it's at least five players per team who are going to be coming UFAs. Um, so it's just like there's so many different complex elements to this that it's, it's hard to know where to start. There's going to be so much as well internal caps as well. Teams are going to have their own internal caps that they're going to have to deal with. And, you know, suddenly it makes moving a player like Freddie Anderson uh, a little bit easier because although he's a £5 million cap hit, he's actually only owed £1 million in actual money next season. So to a team who are cash-strapped and want to save money, then, well, we want a starting goaltender, but we don't want to pay them £5 million. Oh, well, you've already paid him all the money. So it does, you know, it's sadly, it's one of those systems where the rich teams are going to benefit from this and there are going to be teams like the Leafs. And I even heard somebody <laughs> spitballing that Detroit should just screw the fact that they're going for a rebuild and they should just buy this year because they're one of those hockey teams that are insanely rich and, and will make money regardless. And they were saying, why don't they go out and get prep? Uh, Petrangelo why don't they go out and get this person this person this person and just just pay to the max because actually cap teams real cap teams and teams like the Leafs have been over the cap with the way that they you know do stuff they're going to be few and far between next year potentially if fans aren't back so maybe we'll see some teams just going for it financially going all in to win that Stanley Cup that is obviously going to be the minority but that that uncertainty of when there's actually going to be hockey again. It's going to play into all of this massively as well because yeah. because there's no definite date for hockey starting up again, because there's no definite ruling on whether they're going to have to pay players even though they're not playing. Owners who are struggling for money in their other businesses probably are going to go on the cautious side. They're not going to re-sign people to big contracts. They're not going to re-sign. They might not re-sign people at all, and just rely on draft picks. You just don't know how this is going to go. And free agency is meant to go from October the ninth, I think it is, to the beginning of the season. Well, when is the beginning of the season? January, February. So, so are they going to just wait? Are we just going to see a free agent market where nobody gets signed? until there is a decision about when play resumes what what is going to happen it's, good, it's I think, fascinating i still think those top those top players in free agency will still go because i don't think gms yeah. will be able to help themselves because they'll see a petrangelo they'll see a player on the market and they will be there kind of going well, my owner said don't go you know wait wait a month wait a month and they just won't be able to help themselves yeah. it but does go the other way level, potentially yeah, it does go the other way, though, because there will also be owners who are capitalising in this market and suddenly will find money and they will use this as an opportunity to negotiate. Like you say, Jolon, those middle kind of players who just want to get something done. They don't want to be in the situation where it's like, God forsake, a William Nylander. Um, you know, <laughs> we're just going on and on and on and on. So some of these guys might actually just say, yep, I'll take it because I just need to have something sorted in the can. And so certain owners could play this game. Certain GMs could be very, very savvy in playing on that if they know that those other teams don't have that card to hand as easy as they do. Yeah. I mean, you know, use the Freddie Anderson example again, just because I remember his contract. But, you know, if you're Kyle Dubas, then, and you want to trade Freddie Anderson, you could get a goaltender who's much better in something like a one-for-one trade with similar cap um, uh, cap hits. But the fact that you're giving them a player that's only going to cost you a starting goaltender, that's only going to cost you one million, and you take their starting goaltender, who's going to cost all five of the million of their cap hit, suddenly team that would have said no jog on forget it no way are we going to do that might actually be in a position where do you know what i actually don't have a choice financially i've got to make that decision because it means i can get a team that's going to start and play decently well it's going to be really interesting to see how those teams are kind of put together this year and you could see potentially next season some of those teams that you assume to be up there like pittsburgh i mean you've already seen them do deals where they're shedding you know, bits of salary here and there just to kind of lower down the wage bill. Florida, 
have talked about the fact that they they need to save ten million dollars off their cap, and it's going to be very yeah, it's going to be a very different season whenever it comes around, mm. and that is the big if, isn't it? I mean, what do we think? What what are our gut feelings as to when it will come back? I mean, we're here in January, but that seems it, it just where where we're at at the moment. Even in the UK, here we're potentially looking at a second lockdown nationally within weeks imminently and that picture is nothing compared to what's going on in north america so do so you think I, you think it could be later than january i think it's about business as well isn't it really because as you say you know the if they can't and get the the money sorted out and if they can't get an idea of where or if some clubs can have fans how can they still bring in some kind of revenue from fans, then I can't really see how the league and all the 31 teams can sustain themselves financially um, for an 82-game season. I mean, fortunately, the one thing with NHL, which I do appreciate far more than, say, football, like not Premier League, but say like Championship, League One, League Two, you always hear of a club that is badly run and crashes and burns and takes points, you know, gets relegated. God, God knows, goes into liquidation stuff. And you never hear about that in the NHL. Not, not that I know of. Perhaps people can give me more information behind the scenes. But it's much more stable. But this feels like a pinching point that it could tip over. We've survived this season. But a second season, I'm not so sure. I think... Um we shouldn't underestimate the power of the players here and that will pro- that, that's probably more likely to extend the period of no hockey than anything else because if you think there were players who decided it was unsafe to play in the bubble yeah and didn't want to come back um because of their family situations because of their health conditions how are they going to feel about playing not in a bubble you know, they can't play in a bubble. The bubbles no. cost $80 million or whatever it is for two months. That, that's not feasible. So you've got all the, all the things of how do you deal with the border between Canada mm. and USA and quarantines? How do you deal with the fact that you've got 50-odd states all with different, um, different rules at the moment? And then, you know, it's not like football in, in this country where you're driving in a coach to go... No. You've got to get on a plane. You've got to go. You've got to go through through all the, all these airports and protocols. And and I think the the deal with the players to return to play is going to be the big thing here. Do I the players they... feel safe? And how how safe can you make it? Mm. I don't I, I don't know what the answer is. And I think I think it could be, you know, another six months or more. You don't know. One of the leagues to look at as an NHL fan, even if you're not interested in it, is the NFL and to watch how that goes. I mean, they've just had a game this weekend that I think they've postponed um, to next week because of COVID cases and and they inevitably will get some, but that is going to be a league that is going to be worth watching how they do it because they have kind of gone down the route of we're still going to have as normal a season as possible. They're still having travel. There are some fans in the stadiums, which is interesting in some of the states, um, so they are starting to bring fans back in there. I just wonder, you know, I think a lot of people appreciated the difficult position that hockey players and sports players were in kind of in the spring, um, just gone. And I think there was a lot of sympathy and a lot of understanding of any player who decided that they didn't want to be involved at that stage of this pandemic. I don't think that's going to be there by January because I don't think that countries generally are going to have people people are going to be back at work by that point and unless it goes really wrong and really badly this pandemic you would imagine that okay we're not going to be anything like back to normal but there is certainly going to be a lot more people back at work you would imagine by January February time and I'm just not sure whether the players will have that we don't feel safe argument when there is a lot more people having to go back in far kind of more dangerous positions than them. And I just don't know if they'll have those optics that they had back in the spring when everyone kind of understood that they were going back first for the kind of good of people's mood and, the, you know, <laughs> to give them something to watch on TV that wasn't a repeat. Mm. Um, 
And you wouldn't want to say, as a player, you wouldn't want to express any concern right now, particularly because that's where an owner would say, just trade them. Yeah. Not my problem then. I th- yeah, and uh, you know it'll all be done through the NHLPA, and it'll all be you know it'll be a group movement, I'm sure. But I I just don't know if if uh, particularly in America, particularly in America, just because I watched the the Trump and Biden debate last night, and to to kind of listen to where they're at with COVID and everything like that, it, they're in a very different place than we are over here. And of course, yeah, I think Matt's right. I think one of the biggest issues for the NHL is going to be the border because Canada's taken a very different approach to the states um, or parts of the states anyway. So they've certainly got, you know, complicated issues to deal with, but I, I don't know in, in terms of hockey, not in terms of whether this is the right thing or not, but in terms of hockey, I'm more optimistic that this will return in probably January time and they'll try and squeeze a, a, a little bit more of a normal season in and then have a regular playoff. So they might do a 60 game season again, and try and bring the playoffs, just edge it forward again so that it can maybe be back to normal by the following year. You were comparing it to the NFL, so why don't we just have a 16-game season? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got a much better chance of getting that in. Absolutely, just play one Saturday <laughs> each. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you're right, how, how the NFL goes is going to be interesting, but it is a much shorter season. And so the, it is. the, the implications of postponing a game until the following week, you know, they play once yeah. a week. Yeah. Whereas you know, NHL, you're playing two, three times a week, maybe four or five. Yeah. And included in that is traveling for some West Coast teams, 10,000 miles in that, you know. But they're going to have to be more creative about that. I don't, I don't see how they return to the do you, kind of... Do you cross the border into Canada and do all of your Canadian games in one go? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, it, it, that would be difficult because then the Canadian teams, what do you do? But, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I think they would have to be they would have to be more kind of, you know, creative in how they'll do it. But that is the one thing that this pandemic has brought out in, in sports and entertainment and those things is, you know, the rule book does get thrown out the window to a certain extent. And it does mean that people get forced to be creative. So, you know, I think, I think the NHL deserves a huge amount of credit for getting, you know, through this period of time with zero cases throughout this whole playoffs it's been quite incredible and the yeah. product that they've been able to put onto the screens I don't know about you guys but I think it's been incredible really considering and I've certainly not been watching it thinking god you know it's just not the same like the the intensity of hockey the the way they've managed to make it look on tv has been fantastic and they they you know deserve a lot of credit for that and now I guess is their time to sit back and learn from other leagues to see how they can now bring it back in a little bit more of a normal way. Yeah. I mean, that's a great roundup of what is season two of NHL fans from afar. Uh, I can't see. Yeah. (laughs) Who would have thought when we did that first podcast uh, of this season in October that we would have been, it was all just like stupid predictions, wasn't it? And actually we did say, I I think like, I'm pretty certain that we predicted something like Dallas Bruins or um, I can't remember what your prediction was. I wish I'd come back and listened to it, Jolan. Can you remember? Mine was Dallas Bruins. I wouldn't have said the Bruins. No, you said, didn't. I might have said Tampa. I was pretty bullish on Tampa, but I don't know if I'd have said they were at one. Yeah, I don't but, know. <laughs> just hey. funny, just on that note about how much has changed in a year. So um, t- a year ago, yeah, a year ago today, I was just leaving to fly to Singapore to do my traveling around the world for three months. Yeah. And it's uh, a, a year on from that, I'm going to be in a position where i'm legally not allowed to leave my county soon (laughs) like like that is how much has changed in this crazy year and i think i don't know that that has felt like one of the nicest things about having sports back and having you know watching some nhl it is a bit of escapism it's watching something that brings a little bit of normality it's seeing people closer than two meters away even on an ice rink (laughs) but i think that has probably been the best thing i mean it feels so long ago that the leafs were in it that i can't even remember what it was like as a leafs fan this playoffs but (laughs) it has been good to have it back yeah how about you matt um well i think my prediction was completely wrong (laughs) i can't remember what was it 
Well, I think I came on when Buffalo were on an incredible run in the, uh, in the opening couple of weeks. Who? Yeah, I'm sure. Who are they? They might be about exactly. to trade Eichel. It's so bad there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was completely wrong. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's mad. It's, the season started almost 12 months ago. And uh, I, obviously, I've really enjoyed the, uh, the playoffs, apart from the end. And it'll be sad that it's over. Um, but we've still got the drama of the draft and free agency to uh, look forward to. And hopefully hockey comes not too far behind that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it might be that um, we'll see what kind of stories unfold, but it might be that we come back and do a little bonus episode um, a few days after the draft, once we kind of decode what happened and everything. So if uh, you have any comments of that, then do follow us on Twitter at NHL fans from afar. What about you, Ben? Do, what about you? What, what are your, your this, feelings and thoughts throughout the playoffs? I'm genuinely amazed that it happened, <laughs> to be honest, because you often hear that the NHL is a bit of a follower, not a leader. And actually, they got themselves together relatively early. Um, and... I can't believe that there were any, uh, that there were no positive cases. I am massively impressed that all the players, even without getting paid, uh, adhered and stuck to the guidelines and were not stupid because they are young boys, many of them. You know, like they probably do want to go and see girls and go out drinking and go clubbing and stuff. I mean, I know it's a unique, weird time. And I think for me, we're used to watching as fans from afar hockey on TV. It's a very different experience of the sport that we have. And it felt, as you said, just as exciting as it has been in other playoff seasons. I didn't feel any, the product, as they say, was damaged or any less. They always use that word. Um, and I was just so glad because I was so bored of watching reruns of old games in that period between March and May. I just couldn't be bothered. The one thing that I will say is that I feel like it's been a really despondent, disappointing, flat year as a Leafs fan. And in the last couple of months, I've really questioned myself, have I picked the right team? No, genuinely, the answer to that. No, but you're stuck with it, so... And they say that you don't choose your team, that it chooses you and oh, all God. that kind of stuff. But <sighs> I, don't, I, I don't know. And I've really taken some time off. Uh, and it would be awful to switch teams. But sometimes you really question that. So Who would you switch um, to? Who would you switch to? I mean, I'll never I, speak to you again if you do. But who would you switch if, to? If I was going to do it, I'd, I'd go and jump on board with someone like Seattle from the start. Yeah, you know, yeah. like fresh start, yeah. fresh team. West Coast team, though, Claire. West yeah, Coast yeah I know, I know. That's where Andy, that uh, My kind of um, last point I wanted to make was Andy uh, Giddings, who's the Vancouver Canucks fan who was on uh, with us a couple of weeks back, uh, made a really good point on Twitter. And he just said, I think it's safe to say that there is no asterisk next to the 2020 Stanley Cup champions which is so true if anything there should be an asterisk to prove how hard it was to win the tournament this year and I think yeah. any any fears we had way back at the start of this that this would be a bit of a kind of you know uh, not the real thing I think well just look at the celebrations on those Tampa Bay Lightning faces and I think yeah, that says all you need to know about that. Yeah Abby sent a, a tweet as well that said uh, quite simply, I'm sad hockey's over for now. To make myself feel better, here's some things I simply will not miss from the Tampa Dallas series. The black and white RT NHL commercial break adverts. I see them behind my eyelids when I sleep. Pat Maroon looking smug. Uh, Eddie Olchitz telling us there's a Two-time lot of tired... Back-to-back Stanley Cup winner, oh, Pat Maroon, yeah, you're talking yeah. about. Eddie is telling us there is a lot of tired players on the ice. Radulov taking 10 million penalties yeah, and yeah. close-ups of Jamie Benn looking like he wants to murder every damn person in his line of vision, including his own team, especially his own team. That's a great I, roundup. It's a great list. I want to add one to that, which is I am so glad I do not have to watch another flipping Bella and Duke dog food oh, advert because <laughs> if i watch that advert again on premier sports i will do things to that dog that are probably not legal like oh <laughs> my god could not agree more <laughs> and here's hoping that there are different sponsors 
next year. I, I had that theme tune in my head yeah. for like this whole two months. <laughs> because you're watching it in the middle of the night, it gets into your brain. So even the next day you go, hmm, it, it got to the stage where I was <laughs> muting every advert break and just sitting there in silence for two minutes. Like, I could oh. not take it. <laughs> I have a very love-hate relationship with Premier Sports, but oh, just pick another couple of adverts. Mostly please. hate. Oh, God, mostly please. <laughs> it's been a, a, a bonkers 2019-2020 uh, season. Uh, we hope we'll be back in a few months, whenever that may be, however it may be. Um, and uh, keep enjoying the NHL, and thanks for joining us on the ride. <laughs>